Hello and welcome to episode 210 of AvTalk. I am Ian Pechnik here once again, as always, with... Hello, Jason Rabinowitz here. Good to be back. Thanks for flying solo last week, Ian. That was exciting for you. Exciting is a word for it. But we got it done. I hope people enjoyed the episode. I, hope. I even listened to it. You, yeah, is the, you did a is great that the, job. Let's see. We've done 210 episodes, a few more because we've got a few special episodes in there. So is that the first or second one you've listened uh, to maybe? One in. So I've got a couple yeah. more to catch up on. It gets good in the second season, let me tell you. <laughs> well, I hope you're feeling better. Yes. Thank you. And welcome back to Full Strength and welcome back to the show. Thank you. What do we got this week? Some, We've some good got a ton of stuff. Yeah. So let's start in the Netherlands with what's been going on at Schiphol Airport. This week, a local Dutch court ruled against Schiphol saying that they did not follow proper procedures before they attempted to implement a flight cap of 460,000 flights for the beginning of the 2023 winter season. So this would go into effect in fall of 2023. They were previously, or I guess currently, are still at 500,000 flights. And they were going to move that down to 460,000. Airlines, IATA sued and said, hey, that's not the agreement that we were promised. And the judge said, yeah, you didn't follow the – you can remove flights, but only after everything else has been satisfied to meet these goals, and you didn't follow proper procedures. So what the Dutch government, which is a majority owner of Schiphol, has said is that they want to limit flights at Schiphol to 440,000 flights beginning in the 2024-2025 winter season. So the fall of 2024, they want to have removed – by then, 60,000 flights per year from Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam. That's a lot. That's a lot of flights. Amsterdam has been one of the only major airports to embrace capacity constraint as the method for reducing emissions, both in terms of engine emissions and particulate matter and noise. And so the argument that the airlines made, KLM especially, given their home field advantage, shall we say, they said, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't need to cut flights to meet all of these noise and pollution targets because we've got new airplanes that are quieter and are more fuel efficient, and we're going to be using newer fuels, read sustainable aviation fuel, and we can meet all of these targets without having to deal with cutting all of these flights. Yeah, kind of seems like they were using a hammer instead of a, I don't know, a more precision tool here. When KLM is saying we have so many other ways to achieve this, and they just kind of went ahead, arbitrary, not arbitrarily, but unilaterally with this quite onerous restriction. Yeah, I mean, the cuts are still coming in total for the 24-25 season. That will still be 60,000 flights fewer. The airport also has a plan to ban all flights at night and all business jets by the 2025-2026 winter season. So not only will they cut out 60,000 flights, but they're also going to ban all night flights and business jet flights. Hey, that's interesting. I mean, given the numbers that just came out today showcasing Amsterdam's both passenger capacity as well as freight capacity, the freight capacity, especially in the overnight flights, is an interesting piece of the puzzle to solve. 
where those fights going to go. Because as we've seen, there's no shortage of air cargo growth on the horizon. So it'd be interesting to see how well that one works out. The business jet thing is, I guess, a little I understand less that one. They onerous, but- make them go elsewhere. Yeah. I mean, let alone that the airport's busy and I don't know, just closing the runways at night might enable them to do some more construction and not have that happen during the day and impact hundreds of people on every flight versus maybe potentially one. That one just makes sense to me. But yeah, the banning all night flights, including seemingly cargo flights, that's just, that's not not good. That That's not a well thought out plan. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, they wouldn't be the only major airport that bans night flights, but- But it's a Amsterdam, major cargo hub. Well, right. Amsterdam having not previously had a ban on night flights has enabled it as a cargo hub. So it cuts both ways. Though I guess it really depends on what your definition of night is. True. If the night ban is only, you know, certain hours and not inclusive of kind of the whole night, maybe that makes things a little easier. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what's going on in Amsterdam, but as a passenger, I am no longer confident in booking flights to, from, or mostly through Skipple at this point. I have a flight up in June where I had the choice, do I want to fly Air France through Paris or do I want to fly KLM through Amsterdam? And I shockingly chose Air France through Paris, even though it's the summer and we all know French everything is prone to strikes during the summer peak season. But I'm I'm going to roll those dice because I just don't trust that A, were over the hump from last year of the operational issues they had in Amsterdam where they just can't find people to work at the airport and they're cutting flights, not at random, but with very, very little notice on top of these, this going back and forth about new flight caps coming in out of nowhere, axing, what was it, 60,000 flights 60, per year? 60,000 flights a year yeah. with quite little notice. Those flights exist today. They're not going to exist at that point, but I just don't want to get caught up in, in having my booking screwed up because they seemingly can't decide, A, how to staff this airport properly, and B, should flights even operate at all to Skipple? I don't know. At this rate, I feel like I'm just not confident enough to book KLM and know that my flight will operate as I expect or it'll become a casualty of a law put in place, banning it because it's due to arrive at 5 and I don't know, maybe they're closed till 6 a.m. at some point in the near future. I don't know. A lot happening quickly, and I'm sure a lot of other governments are eyeing very closely what does and does not work at this airport, because I have a feeling it's going to be replicated around the world, if it does work. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. And we have a few years, and I assume that much of this will go to the courts again before any final resolution is understood. On the good news front... There was a surprise flight plan filed yesterday on the 4th of April that caught my eye and got flagged by quite a few people. And that's the fact that SkyUp finally got one of their 737s out of Ukraine. It had been stuck in Kyiv since the beginning of the war. They had taken off and the flight actually had to return to Kyiv on the night before the war. They did not get far either. They basically got up in the air and immediately turned right back around. Yeah. So it was like, I don't know what happened, but they landed 
right back. And the aircraft has been there ever since. And now they finally made it out. They flew from Kiev to Yasi yesterday. So now Skyup has another 737 at its disposal. Good for them. And hopefully kind of a good sign that they felt that it was safe enough to get the aircraft out of Ukraine. They flew without their transponder on till they made the border. And then they turned their transponder on as they entered Romanian airspace. But good for them to get the aircraft out. And no word yet on how that operation all unfolded, though we are trying to find that out. Yeah. And of course, Skyhub being a Ukrainian airline is not operating anything resembling a normal schedule at this point. If you go to their website, it is, well, first of all, they're asking for donations for the Ukrainian people, which is fine and great. And then right under there is just a big button for wet leasing. And they said they have 11 planes. I, I guess we'll add one more to that list. Yeah, there you go. So I'd imagine there's actually quite high demand. Maybe someone over at Air Baltic will end up leasing this particular aircraft like we talked about a few weeks ago. But just don't click on the routes button on the Skyop Airlines page because it's blank. It's just a map with no lines and that's Aww. that's sad. But hey, 12 airplanes instead of 11 now for their what leasing program, which I'm sure this coming summer especially, someone will lease this aircraft real quick. So good for them. Yeah, their aircraft have been all over the map. I mean, there are some that are operating in let's see, some that are operating in Africa, some are operating in Eastern Europe. Just, I mean, they've kept them busy with the wet lease program. So good for them for being able to find placements for these. I mean, there's, especially with the coming summer season, there are airlines that need all sorts of capacity. I mean, Lufthansa is wet leasing aircraft for the summer season. So I think that shows you how desperate airlines are for aircraft and extra capacity. So I assume that as soon as they get this thing fully checked out and maybe cleaned up a little bit, it'll be in service somewhere. Good for them. Speaking of capacity, there might be some A320neo capacity coming out of India soon. Not by choice. Go First has a handful of aircraft under repossession threat for non-payment of lease payments. They have six aircraft at least belonging to three separate lessors that are under threat for them not making their lease payments. Though this is a bit of an interesting situation because they're operating A320neos that the A320neo fleet in India especially has had historically over the past few years engine issues and so they've had to have a number of them overhauled because of the supply chain issues and because of the issues with Pratt & Whitney servicing their engines which has affected Air Baltic and included its wet lease program they have a total of 30 aircraft out of 59 that are grounded Ooh. And and so and they've not been making lease payments on some of the aircraft that are the grounded aircraft. So I mean, not a great situation to be in if you go first. Certainly because you don't want to be missing lease payments and lose your aircraft. But then on the other hand, I can understand how you don't really want to be paying for broken aircraft because the engines don't work. So go first on its part has threatened to sue Pratt & Whitney for not compensating them based on the fact that they haven't been able to have these aircraft repaired or the engines repaired in a timely manner. So we'll see what happens there because there are a lot of airlines that seem very unhappy with Pratt & Whitney right now. 
Yeah, that's, well, again, we're, we keep mentioning Air Baltic. This kind of just keeps cropping up. Go Air is not far from the only airline experiencing issues with the Pratt & Whitney geared turbofan engines. But in this case, it seems to be, I mean, there have been other airlines with a few aircraft grounded here and there, but to have a major proportion of the fleet grounded like this, especially in India, where the aviation market is just absolutely kind of just major right now with everything going on. There's so much demand within this country for flights and man, that's rough. I hope GoAir can make it through this. You'd hate to see an airline go bust because it bought into a fleet almost entirely of the newest, latest, greatest, most efficient aircraft only for that to turn around and bite them in the ass and not be able to operate these aircraft. That's awful. And they also have something like 90 more of these A320neos on order. So if, and I'm not saying this is happening, and I hope this does not happen, but if Go Air does end up going out of business, that's a huge amount of A320neos that would be opened up back onto the market. I hope that doesn't happen, and I hope Pratt & Whitney can figure out its supply chain issues here to get these aircraft back in the air. But that's got to sting if you're operating this airline. I mean, it's not the newest airline, but it's not the oldest airline founded a according to Wikipedia, November 2005. But man, that stings to re completely swap out your fleet for a new aircraft only to have it just not work. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, basically. Rough. Yeah. I guess there, there's something to fleet diversity there, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, it cuts both ways. It certainly it does. cuts both it ways. Does. But it's been cutting one way very deeply now given the capacity constraints elsewhere, especially given how screwed up the supply chain has been. I mean, I'll move this up in the show notes, but there's one other airline out there, Air Vanuatu. Vanuatu, they have a single yeah. 737. <laughs> they have one, but that one airplane is grounded, according to Flight Global, again, because of supply chain issues. They just can't get the parts. And this isn't even anything fancy. This is just a 73800, an NG, regular old NG not a geared turbofan or anything, but they just cannot get the parts for these engines. So basically this entire airline, aside from a, a single ATR, is grounded. And that that sucks. Financially, a small airline like that is just not really in a position to take the kind of financial hit that grounding, in Goer's case, a majority of the fleet, and in Air Vanuatu's case, almost the entire fleet of one but yeah, supply chain still very, very much a problematic thing in the aviation industry right now. Let's take the flip side of that and talk about aircraft coming back into service. Shenzhen Airlines put their first 737 MAX back into service. It's the eighth Chinese airline to restart MAX operations, and they're doing what the Chinese airlines that have already put the MAX back into service seem to be doing, which is doing one at a time and doing it very slowly. They've put, let's see, B-1149 back into service. They've got 14 other ones in the fleet. So most of the other airlines in China have done the exact same thing where they put a few back into service and they still have a bulk of their fleet of 737 MAX aircraft kind of out of service. Well, it's great that we're to the point where Chinese airlines are putting the MAX back in service and I'm not even hearing about it until right now. So how many more airlines are there in China with the MAX that have yet to put it in service? If we're already up to eight, there can't be that many more, right? There's a few more. I want to say there's 15 total airlines 
with 737 MAX in their fleet, though that number may have got down because I think OK Airways got rid of theirs. So I'll have to double check. But we're getting to the point where nearly all the Chinese airlines that have already taken delivery of 737 MAX are putting them back into service. And in what can only be described as super duper awesome, amazing news for Boeing. Whoa. Whoa. I know. China Southern and China Eastern both say that they are almost ready to resume 737 MAX deliveries. So, All right. And we, we've the, heard this before. Ah, uh, yes. This before, this, it's, it's but maybe writing. it's for real this time. But maybe it's for real this time because they put it in writing and they put it in their financial reports. So end of the year financial reports came out at the end of March for 2022 based on the fiscal year. China Southern and China Eastern both say that they're ready to resume 737 MAX deliveries. China Southern, much more important as far as the numbers go, 37 this year. 35 next year and 31 in 2025. China Eastern, a much smaller order book. They're going to take two 737 MAX this year and six in 2024. Remember that China Southern was the first Chinese airline to put the 737 MAX back into service. All right. That is good news. You were right. Yeah. So I can only imagine that there's a lot of dancing happening in in Boeing headquarters, given that news, because that's a big piece of the puzzle getting Chinese airlines to- We might get to the point where the parking lot out at Moses Lake is getting rather empty. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's a distinct possibility. Yeah, it's not going to look like Beijing anymore. No, it won't. I should also mention while we're talking about China, on the flip side of great news for Boeing, French President Emmanuel Macron is visiting China this week. And there has been rumors that his visit will coincide with an announcement by Chinese airlines for additional Airbus orders. So we'll have to wait and see whether that comes to fruition or not. But we'll talk about that on next week's show. That's fine. It's not like Airbus is anything new to China. They literally have a final assembly line there in Shenzhen. So not that is it Tianjin? No, not Shenzhen. Yes, thank you, Tianjin. So not that big a deal. There's enough there are enough airlines and enough orders to go around in China for everyone to be happy. No, I'm not saying this would be like stealing something away from Boeing necessarily, but I'm sure that the fact that Boeing has had such issues getting back into the Chinese market is something less than uh, less yes. than exciting for them. Indeed. A few weeks ago, we talked about the FAA saying we have not nearly enough air traffic controllers to operate all of the scheduled flights that airlines want to operate this summer, especially in the very intense and slot-controlled New York area, as well as the DC area. And the airlines have said, yeah, we know. And so they've started cutting flights. So it sounds to me, based on all of the statements given by the airlines, that yeah, this is not a surprise. It sounds to me they were waiting for this to happen. Yeah. It doesn't I guess. sound like this is a surprise to any of no, the No, whether you cancel the flight the day of because there's too much congestion or you cancel it six months ahead, not even six months, three months ahead of time, it's way better to do it now, readjust rather than doing it day of. Not surprising to anyone. Sucks for me and everyone else in New York or who wants to fly to New York or through New York. Book now, book early, and book frequently as I'm doing right now because the flight I was eyeballing yesterday is already $20 more expensive today. So not great. I get it though. But we have yet to see if there are any routes 
outright that get cut. I would expect frequencies to get cut, but maybe Ithaca to JFK doesn't make the cut. It probably shouldn't make the cut, but maybe it doesn't. Not great. I hope we end up in a better place next year. And it sounds like the FAA is, is working around its issues, juggling around some airspace. We talked about this already. But as a New Yorker, it sucks to know that the flight I book now might not exist two months from now and I'll have to rearrange everything. But it is better to deal with it now than to deal with it on the day of when there's a four-hour flow delay program into LaGuardia. So it's good. It's not great, but I understand it. <laughs> not great, but I understand it. There you go. Four U.S. states have now joined the Department of Justice in their suit to block the Spirit JetBlue merger. Attorneys general from California, Maryland, New Jersey, and North Carolina have signed on saying, no, we don't think that this should go through. Interesting that it's those four states, but I get it. I mean, thinking about which airlines fly to which cities in those states. Yeah. I don't know. I truly don't know how this is going to play out. I have my personal opinions that I'll leave on the side, but the table is looking ever so stacked against this JetBlue spirit merger going through, especially in conjunction with the Northeast Alliance between American and JetBlue. I can't possibly see both of those happening at the same time, but we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. At this point, the concessions that they have to make to get this to go through are what's going to be interesting to me because I I have a feeling that they're going to let it go through eventually. But getting the concessions out of out of spirit, out of JetBlue, well, out of JetBlue mostly. It, it could be death by a thousand cuts if there's just not, right. not right. enough purpose to go through if JetBlue has to give up 35% of its slots at JFK to make this go through. That wouldn't make sense, but I bet that might be the case that the DOJ presents such onerous requirements that if you want to get this merger to go through, here's what you got to do, that maybe they don't want to do it. But I don't know. Again, as a New Yorker with JetBlue as one of the airlines, I at least used to like to fly. I don't like any of this. So if, if the DOJ blocks it, wouldn't be too upset about that. <laughs> Jason, how about a new airline? Or a, a new virtual airline. Yeah, I don't know about a new airline, but let's call it something new, doing business as someone else under the brand name, something a, else a entirely. Third party. Will that work yeah. for you? Yeah, it works for me. So okay. Redway Airlines is getting started up from Lincoln, Nebraska. Huh? You may ask yourself, who's Redway Airlines? Well, they don't actually exist. I know Redway Red Wings Airlines. Airline in Russia. No, no, is that's that is, different. Is it them? Oh, no, this okay. is very different. Yeah, Red. I'm not sure why they called Redway Airlines, given that the planes that they're going to operate are all painted blue. But whatever. So they're a new virtual airline that has started up to sell tickets so that they can be operated by as a public charter on behalf of Global X Air Tours, and those flights will be operated by Global X Airlines, A320s and A321s. They're going to fly from Lincoln, Nebraska to Vegas and Orlando to start. Then they're going to add Atlanta, Dallas, Minneapolis, Austin, and Nashville. Huh? That's what I said. This is actually really interesting to me, not because what's the virtual airline part or the Global X part and you know, all that fun stuff. But it's interesting to me that this all came out because Lincoln, Nebraska lost, lost service. 
but is left with only United Service to Chicago, Houston, and Denver. That's three hubs. That's nothing to sneeze at. Most regional airports would kill the major airline with flights to three hubs. But Lincoln, Nebraska says that, hey, we're bigger. We're better than that. Who does Lincoln think they are? The capital of Nebraska? Oh, if you say so. I do. And I think they do too. They're no Kearney, but- they're still a fine town. Anyway, a Kearney, Nebraska joke on this week's podcast I did not have in the bingo cards. But anyway, the interesting thing here is that the Lincoln Airport said, hey, we think we can support more than just United. And so how about we try this? And Global X looked at the numbers and said, okay, yeah, we're, we're in. So they're going to do these public charter sales, Redway Airlines, Not still not sure how they chose that name, but they did. They will begin flights uh, relatively soon. I believe the first flight is in uh, the beginning of June. So good luck to them. Yeah. I've heard they're not even taking the small community air service development program grants, which would make this make a little more sense, I guess. There's no federal funding coming into this. So typically when you see something like this, when, when I lived in Michigan, Lansing, the little Lansing airport, they had some of these virtual airline flights, but they were typically just like once a week, summer seasonal flights from Lansing to like Cancun, three months of the year, once a week. And it was fine but because it was just one-way charter uh, – basically charter flights operating under a virtual airline name to a tourist destination. But this is – these are flights from Lincoln, Nebraska to Atlanta and Dallas and Minneapolis, Austin and Nashville. I, I just don't really understand how they think they're going to get the frequency to go to all these cities. But I'm sure they have – done their research, figured it out. These really sound like a Southwest-ish kind of routes to me. Like yeah. Lincoln Lincoln to Austin just has a real Southwest 737-700 vibe to it. <laughs> I guess they've done their research and we'll see if this is successful, but good luck. Yeah, good luck. Not so good luck. Ultra Air ceased operations in Colombia. They were a small Colombian low-cost carrier. They had six A320s operating domestically. Not such a big deal in the overall airline dominoes falling yearly count. But the reason I found this very interesting was that not only are they the fourth Latin American carrier to fold this year, but the blame that they placed at the feet of Viva Air's collapse for their own demise was fascinating to me. Wait, explain that to me. Yeah. So basically what they said, and they posted this whole statement on Twitter and then deleted it off Twitter, which I thought was even stranger. But what they said was, because Viva Air collapsed, their suppliers and lessors started demanding payment for service at the time of service, like your co-payments do now, or prepayment for services. Kind of get it? Like their shakiness- in the air, in the industry. Now we don't trust any of you, so pay up. Right. I kind of get that, but that sucks. But has anyone seen Steve Giordano recently? Is he in <laughs> Colombia by chance? It feels like he's probably got a trip planned to Colombia in the near future. He may. I don't know. But yeah, I thought that was very interesting. They went and placed a lot of blame on the Viva And then class. deleted it. Yeah, they deleted that particular, particular statement off Twitter. For their part, the Colombian government said, no, you just didn't have any money. And no one wanted to give you more. This is your own fault. 
Fair enough. It, it sounds like it didn't take much to tip them over the edge. No, no. So like with the Viva Air thing, other airlines stepped in and, and helped get the, some stranded passengers where they needed to go. But still not great that there are more airlines that won't see the end of the year. And they weren't that old. They had only operated for 14 months. Oh, sad. Yeah. In news that... It was a long time coming, but I'm old enough to remember when they were mortal enemies. Canada and Emirates have now signed an expanded open skies agreement. That's great. As you said, it, it is not all that long ago in history where Emirates just could not get a break in Canada that they had a cap of like, what was it, one flight every other day they were allowed to operate to Toronto or something like that, just hugely restrictive restrictions placed on on, uh, <laughs> on the Middle Eastern carriers flying into Canada. But they say this new expanded agreement allows for up to 21 flights per week per each of the countries. I believe that, I mean, it just says UAE in this, so I'm not sure what that's getting at. But the permit allows for 50% more flights than the maximum previously possible. So that's a, a nice solid increase. But this is really, I put this in the, the show notes just because it's really an interesting trend recently of former vicious enemies making amends at this point. We saw this recently with United and Emirates really reversing the trend of over the last 10 years of, of just utter hatred towards the Middle Eastern carriers, specifically Emirates and Qatar and Etihad. Now they're buddy-buddy partners doing media events in Dulles with their own aircraft and now are seeing even Canada lifting its restrictions, onerous restrictions on the Middle Eastern carriers. So now that Emirates will be able to operate 21 flights per week for uh, somehow 21 flights is a 50% increase. It's, just, it's still just not a lot considering they have, what is it, three daily to JFK alone, a, a pair at LAX. So they'll probably hit that 21 cap real quick. But on the other hand, it's better than nothing. It is better than nothing. That is true. So, I mean, we'll see how it goes and, and we'll see where Emirates ends up serving in Canada because they, at one point, they had tried to send aircraft to Toronto, Vancouver, and Calgary. And the Calgary flight was the one that like got under Canada's skin so very, very much because it was like the heart of Canada. How dare they try and fly to Calgary? So, it'll be interesting to see if Emirates tries to fly to Calgary again. Yeah, never go after Calgary. Not that I mean that one just <laughs> that just made sense. There are so few international flights from Calgary. There's like one Air Canada flight to Frankfurt and that's it. I'm scrolling through the departures now. If you, you want to go to Medicine Hat, uh, there's there's plenty of I options, mean, but the, oh, okay, there's one yeah. WestJet flight to London and that's it. So, yeah, adding a Calgary flight that just makes sense. I mean, obviously, I want to go to, to Medicine Hat. Why not, right? Who doesn't? Yeah. Okay. Let's just leave it there. Let's end the show and go to Medicine Hat. <laughs> okay. Well, you know how to get there. Through See Calgary. Through Calgary. Where are we going next? See, I, I got all I got distracted by Medicine Hat. Birds. Canadian geese. There you See, go. See, we're not we even leaving from, Canada. We're Canadian not even, geese. Well, kind of. So, 14 years ago. There was a flight you may or may not have heard of it. It didn't really receive much publicity, did it? I mean, it was kind no, of like no, a local it, story. It, in New it didn't York. solidify Twitter as kind of the go-to social media site for what's happening at that very moment. No. So anyway, what happened is U.S. Airways A320 flew into a flock of Canada geese, and that led to 
well, the rise of Twitter is a breaking news source, a couple great books, movies, maybe even a podcast, who knows. And now, 14 years later, the FAA has finally got around to finalizing revised engine certification for bird ingestion. So a big thing about the current bird ingestion test is it assumes the fan is spinning at 100% of its capabilities. And the criticism of that going as far back as the NTSB report and safety recommendations is that the fan of the engine is not spinning that fast during climb out or Or during approach. Ever, right? I mean, how often is it actually at 100% thrust? Very infrequently. And so the issue becomes, well, if the fan is not spinning as fast, there's a higher likelihood that the bird can be ingested into the engine. So we should certify for those slower speeds because that's when a bird is likely to be encountered. And so the, the new requirements and these requirements are called the medium flocking bird test at climb condition. They'll need to send a bird into the engine at 160 knots, the 151 knots indicated airspeed, and ensure that the engine can still operate at least for a while after having ingested that bird, especially looking at the the core of the engine, making sure that the core remains operational to continue to operate the engine. The requirements, these new certification requirements are for newly certified engines. So anything already on the wing and any engines that are being built and certified under the old requirements don't need to be recertified. But if there's new engines produced and there will be new engines produced um, and certified, then these requirements will need to be met. So look for more bird test footage soon. Oh, those are good. And now it's so many years later, we're going to get some really good 4K 360 frame per second video of just birds getting annihilated by jet engines. And I'm excited for that. Everyone's got to have something they get excited about. Yeah. I mean, all the video from back in the day of all the engine (laughs) certifications, it's all a little fuzzy SD video and not quite high frame enough. But there is a whole industry revolving around how do you launch a frozen bird carcass fast enough at a, a jet engine to certify it? And this industry is all full of interesting things like that. There really is no shortage of, of nooks and crannies in the aviation industry. No. I guess speaking of nooks and crannies, it's time for actual snakes on an actual plane. What happened now? I know, right? So what happened was, is there was a pilot flying in South Africa and in his baron and he's flying along and she's got four passengers in the back and then all of a sudden he feels something kind of crawling up the back of his seat and looks over and it's a cobra oh like a deadly deadly cobra not just like oh it's a little green snake no No, a a venomous deadly cobra so the snake had been spotted underneath the aircraft the previous day the day of the uh, flight, they couldn't find the snake, so they figured the snake moved on. The snake had not moved on. It was in the plane. Emergency landing completed. Everyone gets out of the plane. They start looking for the snake. Can't find the snake. The snake is still nowhere to be found. So the snake got a free ride. Yeah, that's great. I love reading the, the BBC article you linked to here where the quote is, pilots are trained for lots of scenarios, but certainly not for dealing with snakes in the cockpit. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's true. 
And it goes on to say, uh, they asked the pilot how the passengers reacted. And he said that he described the moment of absolute silence. You could hear a needle drop. And I think everyone froze for a moment or two. Yeah. If you're in a little, what were they flying? Baron. Beach Baron. That is not a large aircraft. There's not much room on a Beechcraft Baron 58 to escape a Cobra on board that aircraft. So thankfully, I wonder where it is now. I'm never getting in that plane, I'll tell you that. Nope, nope, nope. Not until we can account for every Cobra in the world will I get on any <laughs> Beechcraft Baron 58. That's not safe. <laughs> that seems a little extreme, but we'll, we'll go with it. And let's close the show off with offering a Lockheed Super Constellation for sale. Oh, uh, okay. We are not personally selling the aircraft. Oh. But if you're in the market, the Lockheed Super Constellation that was – Previously being – so it's the Swiss registered aircraft, HBRSC, and it's the second to last flying example or was. It was purchased by a German consortium to try and restore the aircraft to flight condition. It was disassembled and that process kind of never really got off the ground. So they're now selling it. Okay. So it's in pieces. It's stored well. It's been disassembled and it is now for sale and can be yours if you make them an offer that they want to take you up on. That's nice. And I love how the, the site you link to, you, you can buy this aircraft. You can correct directly call the seller, but there's so little information about this aircraft. It just says the aircraft was last flown in October 2016. It was professionally disassembled and can be transported worldwide. That's it. There's nothing else. So reading between the lines, it's in a crate. Come get it. it it's from in us. many crates somewhere. There's no information <laughs> about like the number of hours on the engine or like the state of the avionics or, or anything. It's just, hey, you want this 1955 Super Connie? It could be yours. It's in Germany in boxes. Come and get it. No, wait, not come and get it. It can be shipped. Worldwide. It can be shipped. Yeah, exactly. We'll put it That's in exciting. a bigger crate and send it to you. Mm-hmm. On another Super Connie, the only other one flying somewhere. That would be cool. Right? I like that idea. Well, on that note, Jason and I are going to go figure out how to buy ourselves a Super Connie. Okay. Let's start raising the funds now. <laughs> there isn't even a suggested price. I know. You just, just call $1, them. Maybe they'll accept $1. it. This has been episode 210 of Avtalk. I am Ian Pechnik here, as always, with... Jason Grosinowitz. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.